Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan here. Tonight on Talking in Circles, we're going to discuss weekend from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was Kevin Harvick in the Cup Series. He went to victory lane, his 53rd career win, the fourth of his 2020 season. Of course, held off the veteran Matt Kenseth to get the win in a race that featured some tire issues, a big, a big time pit road penalty, uh, and just a lot of crazy things that went on in Indianapolis on Sunday. Saturday, of course, we saw Chase Briscoe once again just absolutely impressed. Every week, I feel like Chase Briscoe can't get more impressive. Goes out there and proves me wrong again. A solid, solid victory. His fifth of the year. We'll discuss the finish. We'll talk about who ran well and really dive into the Bush Series Xfinity Series race as well. Also, the Choose Cone is now a thing in NASCAR, at least for the All-Star Race weekend. Next, It's next Wednesday, the All-Star Race already. Uh, but I want to get the guy's opinion on the Choose Cone. We'll discuss what the Choose Cone is if you're not familiar with it, and we'll get the opinion on it about whether or not we think it will work in the Cup Series. And, of course, we have a triple header weekend at Kentucky. We'll preview all that. Anytime you want to join the show tonight, 917-889-8280. That's the number to call at any time tonight to discuss anything you'd like to talk about here uh, in the NASCAR world. So 917-889-8280, that's the number to call here, guys, tonight on Talking Circles. But first, let's get right to Indianapolis, the Cup Series race. It's called the Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400 from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It resulted in Kevin Harvick in victory lane. Matt Kenseth was second. Eric Amarillo third. Brad Kozlowski fourth. Cole Custer fifth. As I mentioned earlier, a race that really um, saw a lot of different um, folks that had some issues, but a race that, and I'll start with you, Philip Matthews, since he's, he's on your team there, um, a race that really was Kevin Harvick's to lose. He did a great job. Him and Rodney Childers have really been the team to beat so far this year, and another solid win for Kevin Harvick at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. What are your thoughts? when Harvick pulled that number four car back into victory lane again. I mean, it's it, you see the way that uh, Harvick and Childers have been for many years, but I think in the last couple of years or maybe two of the last three years, you've, you've seen that four team take a greater step in terms of winning more races. The pit crew has improved. Rodney Childers is also his, his calls they made reference to that in the post-race where some of his calls or decisions have been questioned or haven't worked in this case. uh, He made a call before the comp yellow to come in for track position. And from, because he, they got a bad, uh, you know, a, a starting position draw. And from that moment on, really, they were up front for most of the rest of the race. Uh, him and Hamlin have separated themselves as the two uh, title favorites, and it looked like it was going to go Hamlin's way, uh, like it had on the previous Sunday at Pocono. But, uh, of course, that year came through. And, uh, you know, Harvick held on, had to hold off Matt Kenseth, who needs a win in the worst way to get into the playoffs. So, uh, I mean, it, you just have to give credit to the four team. They seem to have uh, really embraced this no practice and showing up ready to go right off the truck. Uh, Cheddar Bob Smith, their car chief, 
who only gets really called out when they have penalties, but he's one of the best car chiefs in the business. And fundamentally, that, that organization, at least that four team, has been on point uh, all ever since the return from COVID. And then you, you add uh, Eric Almirola, who's on the best heater of his career. He has more top fives, and he has five top fives in a row, and that's more top fives than he's ever had in any season prior to this year, and he's done it in a row. Uh, that 10 team is due, um, and they're going to be coming along strong, I think. And he said that he's gotten through some of the worst racetracks that he's run at, and uh, they, they may be due for a win here soon. But, uh, yeah, SHR definitely uh, showed up. And uh, we will see what happens as they move on to Kentucky. Uh, but the other teams are making some progress, too. Yeah, and really the uh, the only contender that really had anything for Harvick all day, you mentioned, Philip was Denny Hamlin. Uh, crashed on, one, on lap 153. Tires were an issue, and I want to dive into that a little bit later. But this race started um, from the really – on Saturday or, fr- or Friday – it really kind of started a little wonky when we found out that Jimmy Johnson had COVID-19. Now, uh, real quick side note, I just want to say our thoughts on with Jimmy Johnson and his wife. We hope uh, they have a happy and healthy recovery and that uh, it's a speedy recovery when we see him at the track real soon. But that was a surprise to a lot of people because of all the drivers, you know, he's the, probably the healthiest driver out there as far as he works out. He's, he's the most uh, – gets a lot of endurance – so for him to have COVID-19 was kind of a surprise, and um, it just shows you it can hit anywhere. So he had to miss the race. It was the first race without Jimmy Johnson in it since 2001, the first race without Jimmy Johnson in the number 48 car since 1993. So it was a, a, a different race from that standpoint. Justin Allgaier, who runs in the Xfinity Series for Junior Motorsports, took over the number 48 car, and he was involved in a lap 16 crash that really started uh, – not really started, it did. It started on pit road. Um, it looked like to me Michael McDowell and, and uh, Cole Custer might have triggered that on pit road. You know, it doesn't really matter at this point, but it took out a lot of drivers, a lot of contenders, including Justin Allgaier. Uh, Cole Custer got a piece of it, but he ended up running pretty good. Um, Mark Truex Jr. Uh, got, a, got a piece of it. Um, Chris, Chris Buescher, uh Ryan Priest, Brendan Poole, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., a lot of people had a part of this accident on pit road and Spencer I want to get your opinion on this and uh what you thought about the pit road accident but you know a lot of people on, took to Twitter and said why is the pit road at Indianapolis so narrow we should widen it now that Roger Penske bought the racetrack they should figure out a way to widen pit road at Indianapolis um what are your thoughts on that what are your thoughts on the entire pit road incident and we also saw Ryan Blaney's pit crew member get hurt Zach Price uh apparently had some fractures in the knee area um so you know, that was a very scary incident. I believe it was Brennan Poole bounced off the 12 car, and, and a guy, got, he got stuck between there, almost got out of the way, but couldn't, and, and suffered fractures in the knee area. So our thoughts are with him as well, Zach Price, um, who got, you know, some in, serious injuries to get over. But kind of a wild incident. We, we don't really see it much. We saw it last year in Indianapolis as well. Spencer, so what were your thoughts on that pit road accident? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a narrow pit road, and, See, you know, you have the cars that are sitting in their pit box, and then you have it's basically a one a one lane pit road. Um, so it's not like you know you got Talladega and Michigan and all these big racetracks where 
you're following each other in line on pit road. And as you veer towards your pit box, you can kind of slow down from there. But at Indy, it seems you have to slow down and then kind of veer because, you know, you're right next to your pit stalls. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't shock me that it happened. I mean, if somebody's going to, you know, slow up 10 mile an hour in front of you to kind of veer off into the pit box, obviously, you know, it's, you know, it's going to do that. Um, each, um, every car is going to start uh, breaking and hitting each other eventually. I mean, we see them do it at 180, 195, 190 at the super speedways. Somebody checks up and you can just see that whole lane. So, um, um, I mean, it can happen at any speed, but the pit road is definitely really narrow. Um, and I never noticed it was that narrow until really this week. I got to looking at it and I'm like, wow, they really don't have a lot of room. So, um, it's definitely dangerous. I mean, Blaney's tire went flying two pit stalls in front of him and landed on top of somebody's car. I don't remember who it was, but, um, so yeah, you know, and it caused, uh, one of Blaney's guys to get hurt. Uh, fortunately it's just a fracture in the knee. It could have been a lot worse. Could have crushed his leg, could have, you know, broken a few ribs, could have done anything. Um, you know, you got these heavy race cars coming in there, um, you know, 35, 40, you know, different tracks vary, you know, you can hurt somebody. So, um, mm-hmm. I would, they definitely probably need to take precautions and widening it a little bit. Um, you know, even, you know, two, three foot is better than what it is now, maybe five foot. Um, but yeah, they don't have much room on pit road. Yeah, it was, you know, as soon as you saw what happened with, with the picker guy, uh, Zach Price, I don't mean to call him picker guy, but as soon as you saw what happened with Zach Price, you know, I, I know Philip, you, re- you certainly remember it. And I know, uh, I've seen video footage of it. But you automatically think of Mike Rich, and, and it's a good time to sort of go there for me for a second uh, with the Mike Rich incident. If you're not familiar with exactly what happened, that was in 1990 at, at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the season finale, and Rich was pitting Bill Elliott's car and got pinned between a car. This is back when they spun, uh, it could go as fast as they wanted to on pit road, and he lost his life because of an accident on pit road. And it really brought a lot of, of um, attention to the safety on pit road and how they could get safer on pit road. So we've come a long way since that, you know, we, we've flown the cars down on pit road. Now each pit crew member has to have a fire suit, has to have a helmet, uh, you know, and, and it just keeps on getting bit, uh, crazier and crazier with the safety, which is a good thing. Um, so, you know, and, and it's incidents like you see with Zach Price where you sit there and you go, thank God we're so safe on pit road now. Um, but I do want to kind of ask your opinion on it, Philip, as far as widening, widening pit road, because, Listen, it's a historic racetrack, you know, and the way it's it's situated, the way everything goes down. I mean, I almost feel as NASCAR, and again, I'm not. I don't know if you if you're listening to the show, you haven't listened to it a lot. I'm not an IndyCar guy. I'm a NASCAR guy strictly. I watch IndyCar. I watched the race this weekend. I thought it was fun to watch, but I don't dive too too deep into it. I don't take it too seriously. But Phillips very very versed, and he, he likes it very very much. Um, so I feel like we always almost intrude on Indianapolis because it's sort of their facility. Um, and to me, you know, I sort of like the fact that each track has their little quirks and their own little, you know, things where you say, Hey, it's not perfect, but it's Indianapolis, you know, get a little bit better, do things a little bit differently in Indianapolis. If you have to keep that in mind, so this doesn't happen. But I guess what I'm asking you, Philip, is what is your opinion on widening pit road? Is that something that should be done? And Indianapolis, is there, are there issues on, on in the IndyCar races that happen there? What are your thoughts? I mean, it's more, I think, for the Indy 500, there's been over the years, there's you've had issues on pit road, but 
You've also had accidents with cars coming off at a high rate of speed on turn four and then going and launching into the attenuator like Mark Dismore did in 91. And you had Kevin Coogan, uh, as A.J. Foyt legendary called him, uh, he went and flipped over in 88 on pit road and after hitting the wall. I mean, there's been accidents there. That pit road barely has, they've made, you know, changes to the pit boxes. They've, they've done certain things. They showed the, the graphic they have that it's the narrowest pit road. Like they have the narrowest pit, like the, the length of the pit boxes is the longest they have in the whole circuit. But the width of the pit boxes is the short is the, is the least in all of the whole entire circuit. So you're playing with that. They're meant for indie cars. Uh, they also have, obviously they have 40 cars. They move, they move the first two pit stalls. They don't use those pit stalls, uh, for this race. Um, they, I think they may have to look at adjusting, uh, how many pit stalls they use or, or spacing out, or I, I also would say that the modified competition yellow, like they used at Darlington. Uh, when they returned, could have prevented uh, the act, the incident that they had. Um, obviously, with Roger Penske at the helm, he made a lot of changes to Indianapolis in the short amount of time that he has been the owner of the racetrack. If there's a move to to widen the pit road, it would affect some of the grandstands and some of the other things that they have next to it. Um, they're not going to impede on the actual racetrack. So it would be more of a, uh, towards the garage areas and some of the things that they've built out over the years. Um, to me, it's a, it's a shame that, uh, Blaney's, uh, uh, pit crew member got hit the way he did. And I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often the way pit stops are these days. Uh, with in general, not just NASCAR, but in IndyCar too. But um, I'm glad he's going to be all right. Um, we'll see what happens with pit road. Um, Indianapolis has always had a narrow pit road. It's been part of what makes it a, one of the many challenges. And um, hopefully we'll uh, see what happens. Uh, maybe they make some adjustments and we go from there. Yeah, and you brought up a good point about the modified yellow. I think part of that was that there was 40 cars pitting at that time, you know, and, and they couldn't lap the field really because of that co- competition caution. And I can go on all day about how much I despise competition cautions, but I've done it so much. I don't even want to board for the audience anymore because I, uh, oh. and um, so I think that was part of it too, for sure. But you know, the, the worst, the worst part about it was that price incident. I'm sure it took out a lot of good drivers as far as Martin Trex Jr. was concerned. Second year in row, he's had issues on pit road at Indianapolis Justin Allgaier, you would like to see what he really would have done in the 48 with a with a real opportunity, um, and he didn't get a chance to really show that. But he'll be in the car, uh, should be in the car at least this weekend at Kentucky. I don't think they've announced that yet. But you know, the big incident was the big issue was Zach Price there. But you know, as the race went on, um, you know, it, it certainly got very interesting. Uh, William Byron and Eric Jones got some stage points at the end of stage one. They stayed out and took some stage points while everybody else pitted. Uh, awesome, Dylan did too. And then it was Kevin Harvick winning stage two with Chase Elliott second and Denny Hamlin in third. Uh, Denny Hamlin, again, was the guy who could really 
challenged Kevin Harris, but late in the going, he was winning Hamlin when a tire blew and hit the wall. And it wasn't just any Hamlin that had issues. Alex Bowman had issues. Uh, a lot of a lot of the Hendrick or excuse me, the Gibbs cars had issues. You saw um, Ryan Newman hit the wall during his day due due to a blown tire. Uh, just Eric Jones having some problems. So it was a day that featured at least seven tire failures towards the end of that throughout the event. And a race that only saw uh, the longest green flag run was 28 laps. So um, it was sort of head-scratching. And, and I know Goodyear kind of came out and put the blame on the teams there. But, Spencer, I'll go to you. What did you think of the tire issues at Indianapolis? Do you think the teams are at blame for it? Or do you think there was something structural uh, that maybe Goodyear did to these tires that they should work on for the next time here? Because, you know, all of us who were, who lived and remembered – Indianapolis 12 years ago uh, in 2008 don't want that to happen and to me this was one of the closest um, things we've seen to Indianapolis 2008 so what were your thoughts on the tire issues in Indianapolis um, I would say it's the tire I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't sit here and, and just point fingers at one team because um, we saw a Roush car do it we saw Hamlin do it we saw um, Jones do it, and I'm not sure if there was anybody else. I don't remember if there was and who they were, but um, if it was just, you know, a single organization that was blowing tires, um, you know, then it, it could be an issue. You know, their brakes, they could have a brake issue. Their brakes could be getting too hot, um, burning the beads out in the tire and causing them to blow um, or anything. You know, it could you know it could be something that was done at the race shop causing these tires to blow. But like I said, you've seen, you know, several different people that wasn't with the same organization. So I think it was just a tire thing. Um, you know, the tires just get real worn and hot, and, you know, they just give up. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a way they can make this tire stronger. I know there's a way they can make this tire stronger. Um, you know, but Goodyear has to just, you know, get down. And But we've seen this issue everywhere. I mean, we've seen it. Um, it's not just Indy. I mean, we've seen Kyle Busch blow a tire at Daytona and take out Dale Jr. and three of his teammates. Um, we've seen it. I mean, you see it everywhere. So um, it's not just Indy. It's uh, Goodyear as a, as a company um, um, doing failures with the tire. Uh, and, you know, you have to have a solid tire. And if you don't make a solid tire, things are going to happen. You know, if you um, if you make a cheap kid toy, the odds are it's probably going to break. So you have to have good quality stuff for it to last. Um, and mind you, you know, running 40, 45 laps on a set of tires at 175, 180 mile an hour, um, yeah, you're going to sit there and go, yeah, they get hot and they're going to wear out quick. But you figure a tire should last a little bit longer than that. Um, but, yeah, I don't work at Goodyear. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I know how to design a tire or what to do to make it stronger um, or to last longer or whatever. But, um, I would definitely say it's a good year, not a, not an organization. Yeah, a lot of people felt um, the teams were sort of and and were at fault for, and also the package. You know, it's sort of the first time, and I know last year we ran there as well, but where we're so slow down the front straightaway, but so fast in the corners, and that really kind of creates sort of different load factors, different heat factors in these tires. And, you know, I, I am the first one to say uh, I, I think it was sort of an issue with the tires. I, I'll say this. I've always said this about this, and I, I'll stay consistent. I'm, I'm, if I ran a company, 
I would be very transparent with my customers. And that's the thing that drives me crazy, and NASCAR does it sometimes, and Goodyear certainly does it, is, you know, we can all sit there and say, listen, you know, if they want to come out and say, listen, the teams were, we, we feel like the teams were pushing the envelope a little bit with the, uh, with the air pressures, but still, we, we're not happy with the amount of tires that blew in Indianapolis. We feel like we let the fans down. We feel like we let the teams down. We feel like we let them all down. We're going to work our tails off to ensure that we bring a better tire to Indianapolis next time we come here. I think the fans and everybody would say, you know what? Okay, that's an acceptable answer for me. But the statement was sort of placing blame on the teams and then telling you how hard their job is. And it's like, well, we know your job's hard. But, you know, at least say, listen, we're responsible for the tires. At the end of the day, if we, have, we feel like seven blown tires is too much, we'll have to work with the teams, reevaluate our, the way we go about this thing. I think fans would accept that. And that's my biggest problem with this, Philip, is just the lack of transparency. And, um, you know, again, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has a bad day or, or you know, uh, has issues. But it's, the, it's how you rebound and how you respond that I have a problem with. And that's my biggest problem, and that's why I'm, I'm sort of harping on them a little bit tonight because I feel like the statement was very, very bad, and I can't stand that. To me, just be completely honest and be transparent. But let me get your thoughts on the tires. I know you're, you're a, uh, a very outspoken critic of, of Goodyear. So what was your thoughts on, on this? Do you think it was a Goodyear issue? Do you think the teams pushed it? What are your thoughts? It's absolutely a Goodyear issue because it's been an issue for decades. Um, they blame the teams. Uh, it's the same. They they always say it's a pressure. The teams don't run the pressures that they recommend. Then they blame the teams for running too much camber. Then they blame the teams because of brake temperature. They, it, everything has to do with the teams. It has nothing to do with the tire manufacturer that is an exclusive deal that has had an exclusive deal with NASCAR since 1995. It has nothing to do with that. And I don't know how many people have hit the wall a ton with blown tires. There have been, you, you can count people, the, the, you can go back to the 90s and Steve Park getting seriously hurt. Tim Steele's career was, was basically, um, derailed because of a blown tire. I mean, insert driver here that has hit a wall because of a blown tire. Every legendary driver has. Dale Earnhardt did it. Jeff Gordon did it. Tony Stewart was outspoken about it. And he was the only person that had the, the hood spot to go and say anything. And they still haven't changed the, the product. I saw the hits that Eric Jones had. Hamlin, I'm no fan of his. But the hit that Hamlin had was horrendous. The Eric Jones hit was the worst one of the of the bunch uh, of the four. Uh, the the Eric Jones hit made me nauseous. And fundamentally, when you're you're they rely on Goodyear to make a good product, and when they cannot make a good product, it's a fundamental problem for this sport. And NASCAR doesn't help because they're in bed with Goodyear and they've allowed this crap to go on for years. They will not allow a manufacturer that can actually make a good tire, whether it be a Michelin, whether it be a, a Bridgestone, Firestone, 
or some other company because now all of these tire companies, like everything else in our world, have, have started to combine, come in and actually make, make a product. Goodyear is so bad that they want to badge tires in Le Mans and the Le Mans series that were Dunlop tires that hold up. They know that their tires are so bad in NASCAR. They want to badge the tires in Europe because I guess they want a marketing thing, but it's also they want to act like they make a tire that doesn't blow out. It's, it's, it's unacceptable. And NASCAR is, they, they want to play both sides in everything seemingly, but this is pathetic, you know, and it's always, and it, Indianapolis isn't the only place they have these huge blowouts. They have them a lot at one and a half mile racetracks when they're carrying a ton of speed into the corners. This stupid 550 rules package means you have no speed, like you said, Clayton, and you go into the corners and you're basically going three-quarter throttle, which is insane. It, it, it's, it's pathetic. It, it's, it's, it's nonsense. I feel bad that these drivers have to kind of play Russian roulette, as Hamlin said. You know, he, he had run all day. He'd, he'd had some issues with wear, but they were playing roulette. And then he's six laps away from winning the pitch up 400 or eight laps, whatever it was, and he knocks the wall down. And, I mean, that's just not only dangerous for the drivers, for the teams, but it's it just shouldn't be something that NASCAR thinks is okay. But they think it's okay because they have an exclusive contract with them. And it's it's just wrong. Uh, I don't. I watch yeah. all these other racing series, and they don't have these tire problems. But I've been watching NASCAR for for 28 years, and they've had these tire problems. They've had these huge hits. And God bless the safer barrier and and the Hans device and some of these other things. You know the seats. Because if it weren't for that, there would be a lot more people getting hurt because of the stupidity. Listen, and I think the the part that I look at the most, and again, I, you know, I said it earlier, but to me, it's uh, the fact that I, I don't really watch other forms of motorsports as far as IndyCar, Formula One, sports cars, all that. Uh, I watch, you know, local short track races and dirt car racing, but, you know, and that's a completely different medium than what we see in big time, big league stock car, or big league racing, I should say. And the fact that you said the other the other series don't have t- as many tire issues is is, a, is alarming. And so, um, you know, that to me is is what you know we sort of have to look at. And again, you know, I don't want to harp too much on that, but I feel like it was a big big part of the race on Sunday at Indianapolis. So. Uh, but when you look at the, the running order and the finishing order of the big machine hand sanitizer 400, um, there was some guys who really had some good runs. Uh, one of the drivers was Matt Kenseth in second, really needed a good run. He's really struggled since he's gotten to that 42 car. A runner-up finish for him is, is, is a tremendous run. Uh, you also had uh, Cole Custer, who was a rookie, one of his best runs all year, finishing in fifth. Michael McDowell, another solid run for him in seventh. He's had a good year. Bubba Wallace, of course, in ninth. Uh, a solid, solid season for Bubba Wallace. Tyler Reddick in eighth as well. That's sort of expected now. So a lot of guys had some really, really solid runs, and it's really put um, the points in an interesting perspective. Uh, but let me ask you this, Spencer. As 
before I go to the points, who was most impressive to you on Sunday at Indianapolis as far as somebody who stood out to you and had a solid, solid day um, and really, you know, put themselves in a much better situation than what they were when they started on Sunday? And I think, Spencer, we have some technical difficulties there. Um, But how about you, Philip? Who stood out to you as far as uh, being a guy who was really impressive um, on Sunday at Indianapolis? You got to – I have to say it's the the Cole Custer. Um, I I would – he helped Parvik on that last restart uh, coming from 30th to finish 5th. Uh, he, in the way he was talking after the race, the the way he looked uh, yesterday, kind of looked like what he was doing for the last couple of years in the Xfinity Series, but more like last year when he had Mike Shiplett as his crew chief because Ganassi is an idiot and he let him go. Uh, the th- That looked like the guy that they brought up that they wanted to have in that 41 car, granted, he was always going to end up being in a Stuart Haas car. Um, he looked like he belonged yesterday for the first time, and he's trying to figure out this stupid 550 rules package and trying to to incorporate his driving style, which definitely doesn't fit the this this whatever they want to call it. Um, I, I give him, I give Shiplet a lot of credit. They're not trying to make the playoffs this year, obviously. They really don't have a chance unless they get a Hail Mary win. Uh, the, the stage break things also takes away some of the strategy. But I, I have to give Cole Custer uh, a shout-out, honestly. Um, McDowell and the way the front row has made this huge progression here in, in 2020 is – Definitely something. I mean, you're a fan, Clayton, of front row based on your um, most recent driver. But for two top 15 finishes, a top three consecutive top 10 finishes for the organization and both cars in the top 15 at one of the biggest races of the year is a huge uh, uh, progression for Bob Jenkins and that whole entire organization. It speaks a lot to what they're doing over there and hopefully more of that to come. Yeah, I tell you, it um I tell you, I just think what's going on in front row is, is pretty incredible. I, I they're so much more consistent um this year than they were in years past. And you know, I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs this year because they're too far back in the points and we'll talk about that in a second. But it's certainly been a step in the right direction as far as getting that team to being much more competitive. Now, I think John Hunter's had a lot to do with that. How long will he be in that organization remains to be seen. Michael McDowell as well, but they got some good crew chiefs there. Drew Brook and Stir for a veteran. And uh, Seth Barber, who was working at Roush before we went to front row. So guys who have been pretty established in their career. Uh, Spencer, I'll go to you again here. I know we had some technical difficulties earlier, but uh, just real quick, anybody stood out to you on Sunday in Indianapolis that you were really impressed with? Yeah, um, uh, there's a few guys, in, you know, that had ran really well, and um, and they kind of been running good all year. And Philip just touched on it, you know, Michael McDowell. Um, 
you know, that team has – they slowly get better and better every year. Um, and, you know, normally you only see them shine at the restricted plate racetracks and lead a few laps and are up there on all, all day. Um, you know, Michael McDowell isn't up there all day um, competing for the lead, but he's solid, solidly inside top 10, top 15, um, and came away with a seventh-place finish, which is incredible for that team. Um, you know, he had a sweet-looking car um, with carparts.com on the race car. It looked really sharp. Um, was able to get them some television time. And, you know, that's um, sponsors like that when you're running up front. Um, you know, that can mean so much more for your team. Uh, more sponsorships, um, different ones. Or, uh, you know, a sponsor that's not there all the time might sign on for a few more races. So uh, Michael McDowell is definitely one of them. Um, and then Christopher Bell. Um, you know, once again, he was running fourth. I don't know. He's got a place with fourth. Um you know, was running good, was running fourth at Pocono, and then came here, was running fourth for a little bit, and then um, slowly started falling back. But they weren't there in the beginning of the year. Um, and now they're slowly starting to come back. Um, I don't know if these, track, these tracks just probably fit him better, the flat-turned racetracks. Um, so those are two teams that, you know, needed a good run. As you mentioned, they probably won't. Uh, the 34 might not make the playoffs. Um, the 95, if he gets a win maybe, I don't know. Um, it's still a long ways to go, but those two guys, uh, had solid days yesterday. Listen, absolutely 95. And, and I don't know if it's more of his style of racetracks coming in or that he's just figuring out this rule package, which is completely different driving style than what he's used to in the Xfinity series. Phil talked about that with Custer and that's true too about Christopher Bell. Um, and I just think that 95 team with the Gibbs Alliance has really figured it out here. Even Custer's really done a lot better, uh, but there are, when you look at the points, there is a team that I'm looking at that I'm really concerned about. Um, and what Jimmy Johnson, by the way, has done missing these races is he's going to get a waiver. There's no question. He's going to get a COVID-19 waiver. So he will be eligible to make the playoffs. But he's going to have to finish in the top 16 points if he wants to make it in on his points. Or he's going to have to win, which is more the more likely scenario for him to get into the playoffs. And he hasn't done that in a while. So, you know, you could see him being consistent, getting into the playoffs that way before missing races. But now that he's missed, he's going to miss this one. He's going to miss Kentucky. Who knows how many he misses after that until he's clear to go. Uh, it really puts a, a completely different look into the point standings um, as we get going closer and closer to the playoffs. But one team I'm really concerned about, and they had a really terrible weekend in Indianapolis. Chris Buescher got involved in a pit road accident, really kind of ended his day, ended up 31st. Ryan Newman blew a tire. And I know Newman missed three races, but – Roush Fenway has just been eh this year. And Newman missed three races, so he's 26th in the standings right now. You know, he's done pretty good. He'd be a lot higher. He'd probably be in the conversation for a playoff run. But Busher and that 17 car have not been very good. Uh, they they keep, you know, it feels like they take a one step forward and then two steps back every week. And it wasn't their fault this weekend, but they got back there. They, they started at 19, which isn't horrible. But they got into the back car wasn't handling very well, and then they, they had a pit road incident. And that's what happens when you get back there. You know, you get back there with the squirrels, as, as some people used to say, and, and accidents happen. So uh, I guess what I'm getting at is there's a couple of teams here who we expected to be contenders, a couple of guys who really we expected to be contenders, Newman, now Jimmy Johnson, maybe Chris Busher, who are no longer contenders, and that really puts a, a interesting little twist on the playoff run. As you look at the playoffs – as they stand right now. So 
let's just take Jimmy Johnson and throw him to the side because he's going to be, need a waiver. But right now he's 15th in the standings. Austin Dillon is 16th. Jimmy's 30 points ahead of Austin Dillon, which is a lot. But if Jimmy misses this race, he's probably going to fall somewhere around 18th. Then it's Tyler Reddick. Uh, then it's Eric Jones, excuse me, then Tyler Reddick and, and Bubba Wallace. Um, to me, Jones and Reddick are in pretty good spot. They have a 26-point cushion over Bubba Wallace. And then Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in 20th. And then it comes Chris Buescher. So the, the run for the playoffs is really going to be interesting. And I'll start with you. Um, I'll go to Philip this time since we just got done talking to Spencer. Of the guys who are currently outside the playoff hunt, Joan, Eric Jones, Tyler Reddick, Bubba Wallace, or Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who do you see making, making it on their points or making it into the playoff? Um, is there somebody that really stands out to you of those guys I mentioned? Or do you think maybe somebody else could, could get in via a win? Uh, who, who do you got there, Philip? I think whether it's either a win or points, it's Reddick. I mean, he's better than Austin Dillon. It's been proven. The points don't say that, but the way that they've looked, that he's looked over the entire year, uh, it speaks to Tyler Reddick. Eric Jones has definitely had some bad luck uh, this year, and that's part of why he's lost as many points as he has. You look at some of the guys that are right there, it's basically similar to what we had last year at this time or relative to um, the only difference, I think, is you flip Matthew Benedetto out for for um, for Brian Newman. Uh, the Roush team has taken a huge step backwards. JTG Doherty has also taken a huge step backwards this year. Um, and that's part of why that they they both are in a position where they need a lot of help. They need a win. That's for Stenhouse or or Priest or in the case of Roush with the uh, with the Chris Busher Ryan Newman. But Reddick's the guy. Uh, he had a solid run yesterday. Uh, he's been going. He's been seesawing back and forth. He's been in. He's been out. Um, he's better than Austin Dillon. It's been proven. Uh, he's a better race car driver, even if uh, Pop-Pop doesn't want him to tweet. Um, he's the guy that can get in on points, and that's who guys like uh, Jimmy Johnson, William Byron, Clint Boyer, Dillon, they all have to be concerned about. Because really, as it stands, just like we were at this point last year, there's really, I think, there's a huge cutoff after 11. And there's a huge gap between Kurt Busch and Matthew Benedetto points-wise. I think the Benedetto is going to be fine, and, and Boyer looks like he's going to be fine, even though he's, he's mediocre. Uh, but um, the, really, after 11, that's kind of all in play. If Watkins Glen gets canceled, which it seems like it's going to be, that takes away an opportunity for some of the drivers. What we see for the rest of the schedule could really determine who can make a run here uh, and make this playoff uh, here in 2020. Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch. And uh, it's interesting you said with Reddick because, uh, you know, he's certainly been very impressive at times this year, but the points just haven't been there. 
How about you, Spencer? I'm going to go to you quick on that topic as well. I know you like chiming in on this kind of stuff. Um, you know, of the guys who are currently outside the top 16, Eric Jones, Tyler Reddick, Bubba Wallace, or Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, I guess you could throw Chris Buescher in there too because he's not too far behind Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Um, who do you think makes the playoffs of, of those guys? Um, because certainly somebody would ha- probably be in because Jimmy missed a couple of races. So who do you think gets in um, of the of the guys, Jones, Reddick, Wallace, Stenhouse, or Buescher? Um, I would have to say probably Jones, um, just because of the equipment he's in. I mean, really, him sitting 17th is kind of unacceptable. Um, you know, knowing the equipment he's in, whether he's getting bottom of the barrel equipment over there, we don't know. Um, but I would have to say him just because of the equipment he's in. But then you look underneath him, and it's Redick. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job all day. Chevy's definitely found something this year. Um, they're definitely a lot faster than they have been the past couple years. And he's been running really, really well and running good enough um, to where he could possibly get a win. Um, and then, I, But those are probably the two guys that would probably get in. Um, Bubba at 42 points, I'm not saying he can't get in. But I don't think where they're – yeah, they're running good, but just by where they're running, I don't think it's enough to really um, get in there safely. Um, he might get 16th. You know, he might be able to cr- crawl his way to 16th, but will he stay there? Um, we don't know. I just think Jones and Reddick are running um, – you know, they're going to run way better than the 43 the rest of the year until the playoffs, and that's going to – unfortunately, I'd like to see him make it. Don't get me wrong. I think it would be huge for the team. Um, I don't know if you guys just saw, but Beach just signed on as a sponsor with Bubba Wallace, so he got another sponsor. Um, whether or not how many races they're going to be on that car, I don't know, but um, I'd like to see them make the playoffs. I think he deserves it. I think he's a hell of a race car driver and all what he's had to go through. It'd be awesome to see that small team make it, but unfortunately I just don't see him climbing past Jones and Reddick for how good they've been running and the equipment they're in. So um, Jones and Reddick are probably going to be battling out for um, Dylan's spot. And Dylan's been running well too, so who knows? It's a tight battle right there. It really is. It's going to be tight, and it's going to be fun to watch. And the Bubba Wallace uh, Dre beats with Dre deal, uh, his personal service contract. So I don't know if they're going to be on a race car at all, but uh, he's there. apparently he's getting some sponsorship interest in that 43 as well. But that team is a sole cooperation, a smaller organization, certainly taking a step in the right direction in 2020. They're sort of like front row to me where they've taken a, a step in the right direction to look at what they've how they performed. I think they know they got the driver and the tr- crew chief combination to certainly capitalize on what they built here in 2020. And, you know, I'm not counting out because I think anything can happen, especially when Daytona is the final race, at least scheduled final race um, for the regular season. So he could certainly pull off a win there. But um, as far as points are concerned, I do agree. With you. I think Reddick and Eric Jones probably have the best opportunity because they are in, in great equipment uh, as far as Eric Jones is concerned. It is surprising he's down there. He's just a guy who can't really find consistency, um, you know, for whatever reason with his time here at Joe Gibbs. And he's been, and that's the one thing I am a little concerned about. And I don't know what the whole uh, free agent deal is. I don't know what the whole silly season thing is right going, how it's going right now, considering it's in July, but they're, they, he can get, get into sort of lame duck situation 
here in the next month if something happens where he announces a deal, whether he drives, you know, the 48 or the two, or he sticks around, uh, so he goes somewhere else and he gets into a lame duck situation that could hurt him. Um, because I know Gibbs historically has sort of pushed guys aside who have really haven't really aren't going to be there next year. So it's going to be fascinating to watch as this month rolls along and we get closer and closer to um, the end of the regular season. So, yeah, the NASCAR Cup Series event wasn't the only NASCAR event at the Brickyard this weekend. Of course, we had the Pennzoil 150 NASCAR Xfinity Series race. It was on the Indianapolis Grand Prix circuit, which is the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it was a race won by Chase Briscoe. Justin Haley finished second. Then it was Noah Gregson, A.J. Allmendinger, and Austin Sindrick in the top five. And Spencer, I'll start with you. Um, Chase Briscoe winning a, a very impressive win. When this weekend started, I think a lot of people had two guys on their list to win, the, to win this race, his favorites to win this race, A.J. Allmendinger and Austin Sindrick. Now, I know Sindrick had a, a, a restart violation that put him in the back and never was really able to get – uh, track position, A.J. Allmendinger had some other issues. I think he had a pit road uh, issue where he either sped on pit road or had some kind of pit road violation, uh, pit violation. So he lost the track position. That really hurt them. I think they used their stuff up in the, at the end of the race and couldn't get up there. But those two guys were guys who I think everybody sort of had as their favorites to win this road course race at Indianapolis. And they finished fourth and fifth. And I think a lot of people thought Chase Briscoe would perform well. But for him to go out and lead 30 laps and run as well as he did at the Indianapolis Grand Prix circuit was absolutely incredible to watch, and I was very, very impressed. What were your thoughts from the Xfinity Series race? Yeah, I thought it uh, was fun. And, um, you know, this is coming from a guy who hated road courses when I was younger watching the sport. Um, and as I've gotten older, you know, I've been a sport – I've been a fan of the sport for a long, long time, but I've gotten more knowledgeable. And um, and I actually, I actually really like road course racing. I don't, I'm not one of them guys that want to see ten of them in the schedule. I want to see just that perfect number, and I think we're at it um, with the three that we have um, on the Cup side, that is anyway. But I think it was a uh, hell of a race. It was very exciting there at the end. You had all three cars battling, um, beating the doors off of each other. Um, going in the grass, missing corners. I mean, Briscoe missed a corner and fell back to third and just came back and was right there within two or three laps after that. So he had a really fast race car. Maybe it might have been two laps. He he didn't have a long period of time, and he was already back up there. Um, so, I mean, he's that Stort Haas uh, 98 high-point car is bringing fast, fast race cars to the racetrack. And I'm sure that local sponsor that's up by you is very pleased and happy with the speed that they're having. Um, you know, they're finding themselves in victory lane. Um, you know, at the rate he's going, he's definitely going to get his eight wins. Uh, and I don't really see him slowing down anymore, and that's fine. You know, I don't mind seeing Briscoe win. I, Briscoe win, I think he's a good guy in the sport, has a lot of talent. Um, but, yeah, for him to come out on a road course, you know, especially with A.J. Allmendinger um, and decent equipment and colleague, who is a team that you're, they're a force to be reckoned with every week, and, then Cendric, what he did last year on road courses and to come here, you obviously thought he was the favorite. Um, but this was a statement for Briscoe saying, hey, it might be a road course, but I still have what it takes. We're fast and we're in it to win it. Um, and it was pretty cool. You know, he's a big fan of Tony Stewart growing up and for him to take the checkered flag and cr- climb the fence. And, um, you know, that'd be 
I can't imagine what it's like driving for the guy you used to pull for, and now you're winning races for him in, uh, the, you know, one of the top levels in NASCAR. So, um, hell of a job by them. Great effort by the team all year. Um, and I don't see them slowing down anytime soon. So, the other guys better watch out, and they need to step it up to catch up with the 98. And I know Richard Boswell is working on that car. He's setting it up, and he deserves a lot of credit for these wins. But, hey, for just from a, uh, a perspective of, you know, um, just luck or, you know, how things happen, with Greg Zipidelli on the pit box, Chase Briscoe is three for four as far as wins are concerned. He won Homestead, he won Pocono, and he won the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Uh, and – you know, was was running very, very good at Talladega before he got caught up in an accident. But, you know, he's been very, very good. And, and again, Boswell's setting up that he's pretty much the crew chief on that car. All is doing, making his race day probably calls. But I'll tell you what, it's been very, very impressive uh, to watch Chase Briscoe. And this, to me, is his coming out year, Philip. I just, you know, I've always known Chase Briscoe's had talent, but I'm kind of sitting there going, hey, you know, when are we going to see it come out? When are we going to see Chase Briscoe show his true skill, well, 2020 has been that season, and he's done it without practice, uh, and he comes out there, and he's competitive every week. Just another great performance for Chase Briscoe at Indianapolis to win. it To me, and, and I know I said it earlier in the show, and I'll say it again, every week I'm like, oh, he can't get more impressive than what he's been, and he goes out there and shows me that that's not true because another extremely impressive win at Indianapolis. What were your thoughts on Briscoe's win there, Philip. I mean, the the fact that he was able to recover after he uh, made that error on, uh, what is it, turn, I guess, 12 or whatever. I don't know how many freaking corners they have on that, that circuit. He, the, the, the turn before they get out towards the final chicane, and he blew that turn, and not only was he able to recover, he outbreaks A.J. Allmendinger at the end there, at the end of the front straightaway, takes the lead, and then holds on. Uh, it's he, he wanted that win uh, outside of the Darlington win after what him and Marissa went through uh, a, a couple months ago. This, this win is a huge deal for Chase as an Indiana boy. And, uh, of course, Rick Allen said that twice on his his, uh, call. Uh, He went and mailed in the call yesterday with Kevin Harvick like uh, Jerry Punch. But when it comes to Chase Briscoe going and winning there yesterday, he's been doing road racing even when he got – he had to do a limited schedule – in 2018, he was running whatever series they call it, the Continental Tire Series or Michelin Pilot Series, running road course races there in much uh, more uh, – in equipment that is much more suited towards road racing and getting his skill – improving his skill there. He was able to perform in the ARCA Series as well when he won his championship for Cunningham Motorsports there a few years ago. And unlike, I mean, he didn't win in every single type of track like Austin Terrio, but Briscoe showed the talent. They needed that time. They needed that year. They developed him and Richard Boswell have developed that relationship and that kinship that 
they're able to know what each other, what they, what you need. And Zippy has been able to kind of execute the way that he did in his heyday with Tony Stewart when they were on and when he had a driver that was, you know, on point, they won. And it's proven based on what uh, Zippy's career has, what he did, 33 wins, two championships uh, in with, with Tony Stewart. So it's something to see. It's, it's nice to see, you know, you win all these races, five wins in 13 races. Uh, momentum is good. You got some interesting tracks coming on, a lot of one-and-a-half-mile racetracks, which kind of brings some of the other drivers into it. But Briscoe has an opportunity to really separate himself the way that Harvick has and go and win this regular season points championship, gain all those playoff points to the point where he could he could basically sail into the final race of the season. He really has. And I'll tell you, again, you know, I, I don't think we can emphasize enough just how impressive he's been here uh, in 2020 with the fact that, you know, you don't get a lot of practice. But um, certainly a a race that I think was – the finish, at least, was tremendous. I mean, um, the first part of that race was a little hard to get into, but when those guys were battling, there was five – sometimes four – sometimes five guys battling for – uh, the top position, it was really, really fun to watch. So, um, you know, first time we ever run the NASCAR on the road course in Indianapolis. So uh, something that I think was a little, I was a little skeptical on when I first saw it, but it worked. I mean, I'll tell you that much. It was, I'll certainly watch next year's event because it was great. And I'm somebody who doesn't like road course racing, and I thought that was great. So it certainly was better than what we saw on Sunday. So uh, a win-win for everybody there. And when you look at the uh, points in the Xfinity Series, you know, not much changed. Ryan Snyder got a little bit closer to Brandon Brown, who had a tough day um, on Saturday. Riley Herbst did too. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on as the season goes on. Ryan Sieg is 10th in points. He's not yet to a point where he should feel safe. Um, but Michael Annette and everybody above him pretty much is in a point where you can feel safe. So uh, he's just got some guys back there who can join into the, play- into the playoffs. Alex LeBay, of course. Uh, Jeremy Clements, Josh Williams, all those guys have run the full races, but they're going to need to really start rattling off some really nice runs here if if they want to be in the playoffs. Really, it's down to Mike Snyder or Brandon Brown or Riley Herbst right now, um, unless LeBay, Clements, or Josh Williams really pull off some solid wins here in the or solid races here in the Xfinity Series. Okay, guys, here's something I'm interested to get your opinions on, and, and I know Spencer sort of gave me his opinion first, so I'll go there. The new rules announced for the All-Star Race this weekend, next weekend, I should say, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Now, um, if you're unfamiliar, excuse me, it's going to be at Bristol Motor Speedway. I don't know why I said Indianapolis. I'm reading something, so I apologize. Um, so it's going to be at Bristol Motor Speedway. It's the first time ever that the All-Star Race is going to be at a track other than Charlotte, other than when it was ran in Atlanta in 1986. So it's the second time ever. Um, that it was on Ryan Bristol Motor Speedway, but they've announced the format. They've also announced that we're going to do the Choose Cone, which was probably the most interesting of the announcement. Uh, the Choose Cone, if you're not familiar with it, basically it's guys get a choice to basically uh, restart with whatever line they choose. They want to start on the bottom, they can. They want to start on the top, they can. The guy in the lead 
gets the first choice. He wants to go to the top. He goes there. The guy in second, if he wants to go to the top, he goes there. The guy in the third, if he wants to go to the top, he goes there. The guy in fourth might say, well, you know, I'll start in the bottom and take my chances. So he'll start first row, first one on the, on the bottom row, and so on and so forth. And that's sort of how it goes. Um, there's been a lot of debate on Twitter. Matt Weaver, a writer who's been very, very in favor of this. But I've seen a lot of people who call it gimmicky and think it's stupid. Spencer, where do, what do you think about the choose cone rule? Um, and then I got Phelps' opinion. I'll take it my take. What are your thoughts? So, what you just said, I now answer this back and then I'll get to it. So, the first place guy starts on the inside normally. If he wants the top, second mm-hmm. place guy can say he wants the bottom, or does it go back to the third place guy that gets to pick his lane? So, you know second gets to choose wherever – yeah, everybody gets to choose their lane, from what I understand. So, first, so they can first just guy swap. gets to choose his lane. So, the second guy can say, hey, I want to go to the but, – but some lanes at Bristol, for example, the high lane is going to be very, very – is the preference on restarts because when you get stuck on the bottom there now, uh, it it can be a problem. And if you don't get up, you know Martinsville was a high lane. When you're in a high lane at Martinsville, it's a big problem. You know you could be out there for 20 laps and you could lose 15 spots and you have a really good race car. So that's that's the whole point be- premise behind this is some lanes at certain racetracks are a detriment compared to others. So. Basically, what they're going to do is give the guys an option of what lane they want to choose in. A guy who's sixth could essentially restart first row on the bottom because he chose there. And the top five could all be on the top, but we'll, they'll restart the, he'll essentially restart the race in second. Um, so a lot of people have a problem with that. What are your thoughts on it, Spencer? Sounds like a confusion of cluster you-know-what. Um. Oh, honestly, I think it's dumb. And I don't mean to, you know, be negative or anything. Uh, I think, um, you know, for the first place guy, you know, I agree with, you know, the front, you know, the the first place guy, you know, the pole sitter, whatever, the leader gets to pick his lane and go to the top. But for them, for the second place guy to sit there and say, no, I want the bottom, it just sounds confused. Uh, it just sounds like a mess. Um, I don't see um, why we just can't stick to what NASCAR is known for. Hey, buddy, the caution came out. You were 18th. Guess what? If you don't pit, if just say nobody pits, well, guess where you're starting? You're starting 18th. Good luck. Go to the front. Um, I get it's the all-star race. I get it's, um, you know, records or checkers, show me the money type deal. Um, but where you are is where you restart. Um, like I said, I think, you know, the pole sitter, the, uh, the guy in front, um, should definitely be able to pick which lane he wants. Um, but going all the way back, you get to pick this lane you want? No. You know, the leader should have that privilege. You know, he's the leader. You know, he's fast, mm-hmm. running up front. But the guy way back there in 20th, what the heck does he get a dang choice what lane he should start in? You know what I'm saying? I just um, – Yeah. I, don't know, I, I really think – I honestly, truly think it's kind of stupid. Um, and I hate to be a Debbie Downer about it. If you guys, uh, you guys might be, you know, feel different about it, but I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I don't get the point of it, honestly. But hey, it's the All Star Race. I, I just, if they're gonna do it, this would be the race to do it. Um, right. But don't go do it in the Daytona 500. Don't go do it in the Southern 500. Don't do it in any other race. If um, you know, it's like Eldora. It's once a year. 
you race on dirt. Um, so do this once a year. If you feel the need, you have to do it. This is the race to do it at. So, um, yeah, somebody at NASCAR thought well, this was going to be a brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is sort of a trial run to see if it works at, at the All-Star race, and then they're going to see if it should be instituted throughout the entire series. It's very interesting. Um, Philip, you heard what Spencer had to say. I'm sure you've probably seen races where this has been instituted. What are your thoughts? I mean, it is something that a lot of people have a, a lot of opinions on it, and, and it's something that's got caught a lot of interest. What are your thoughts on the choose cone rule? And then I'll give my take on this because I have a certain take on it that I want to give on as well. But, Philip, what's your opinion on it? I mean, as Spencer said, I mean, if there's going to be a place to try it, it's the all-star race. I don't mind it. Uh, I mean, just, we'll just get it out there. I don't mind it. it. I look at Bristol and the way that once rubber gets into the racetrack, you need to run the wall. And if you're up high, then you're going to have an advantage versus running low even with the traction compound, um, depending on, I mean, the, the, the stages that they have in the races are going to be very short. So maybe the low line plays a role so then everybody wants to run low. I mean, who knows? We'll, we, we, we'll see what happens. It, I don't mind it running in the all-star race. I have a hard time believing that NASCAR is capable of uh, managing uh, a race with a choose cone rule during a regular actual points race, unlike other series. Um, but I, to me, it, it it's harmless. Um, I I said earlier when we were on our on our chat that we have together that everybody's going to want to pick the high line, and you had an, you had a you Clayton had a, a response to that, so I guess I'll uh, throw to you in terms of uh, what you think uh, in terms of the choose cone. Well, I, I pointed that at just look what happened with Austin Sindrick this past weekend. You know, a guy spins his tires, and you know if Sindrick didn't, well, I felt like somebody spun their tires, and if Sindrick didn't have such a good restart, maybe he. Uh, Gets gets into turn one a little bit better and could potentially win that race. Something like that happens, you know. And so I think what people are saying, you know, well, who's going to choose the bottom? Everybody's going to be sort of on top. And I disagree with that. I think if you're seventh and your car is just, you know, you haven't been able to get track position all day long, and you've been dying to get track position, you're going to choose the bottom and see, you know, go. You know what? I'm going to be in clean air on this restart. Nobody's going to be in front of me. Nobody's going to do stupid moves, and I can go into turn one as hard as I want to. And if it sticks, great. If it doesn't, well, you know, I'm not going to win the race anyway. For the All-Star race, that to me makes a little bit of sense. Now, I have to see it in, in motion first, but I, I'm actually, surprisingly for myself, I'm actually uh, for it. I'm actually kind of like the idea. I think it adds strategy to it, to uh, where a driver and a team has to sort of, you know, figure out a way to what line they want to start in. I think it puts the nonsense we see of drivers slamming on the brakes at the end of pit road. That puts that to bed. Uh, 
to me, it's it's insane. Now, I, I grew up in an era where, and Philip did too, where we had lap cars on the inside. So this was never a problem because the lap down cars were on the inside and the lead lap cars were on the outside. Everybody started in the same lane. Nobody cared you know, about what lane they were in because they had no choice. It was, you know, if you were a lead lap car, you were in the high lane no matter what. If you were a lap down car, you were in the bottom lane no matter what. So it was a lot different. Now, a lot of people love the double file restarts. Double file restarts to me are a little bit eh. You know, there's some good things about them. There's, it's certainly more interesting, but there's some bad things about it. I think people go crazy on double file restarts. Um, and when you get laps down, you can't make up, make up any laps. But the choose cone rule is going to be very interesting. I think, again, it's better than drivers slamming on the brakes at the end of pit road. It drives you crazy. Um, and, you know, this way they can't complain about, well, I got stuck in the bottom lane. Well, you chose the bottom lane this time. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I think it's something that we're going to have to work with. But, Philip, I think you brought up a good point, not to kill NASCAR too much here, but this is a sport that's had a lot of scoring issues in the past, especially in the all-star race. Very interesting to see if they can uh, figure this out as the race goes on. But something that's going to be interesting, and we'll, t- we'll dive into the all-star race next on what next week's show. We'll take a deeper dive into that race as far as the format's concerned. But I just kind of want to give you guys your chance an overview on it. 35 laps for the Open. There's three stages for the Open, 35, 35, and 15. The All-Star Race, there's four stages. Stage one is 55 laps. Stage two is 35. Stage three is 35. Stage four is 50, is 15 laps. Um, very short races, so it's going to be fun to watch the All-Star Race um, this year at Bristol. I'm, I'm excited just to see how – Everything goes. I know they, they moved the race because they sort of had to, but it's going to be fun to watch at Bristol anyway. Okay, guys, pick time. Um, I know we, we've kind of gone over our, a lot of times, but let's discuss Kentucky picks here. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Spencer Cowan. Who do you think, as far as Cup Series is concerned, who do you, who do you expect to run very well here at uh, Kentucky Speedway? Uh, Martin Church Jr., uh, just because – he, I believe he has two wins there. He might only have one. Um, one or two wins, I don't remember. One back in 2017, and one might have came um, last year. I don't remember. But he's very strong at that racetrack. Um, I really, I think he's going to rebound um, from what happened um, Sunday where he wasn't able to really show what he showcase what he had. So I think he's going to be strong. And then uh, there's a few guys, but, you know, we only have time for one. So MTJ is probably the – the winner. Yeah, he does have two wins there at Kentucky Speedway. Certainly somebody to keep an eye on. How about you, Philip? Uh, your driver, Kozlowski, has two wins at Kentucky as well. Um, certainly an interesting racetrack. Who do you think wins uh, the cup race at, at Kentucky? And we can't hear Philip there for whatever reason. Um, but yeah. Yeah. No, I'm there's back. I'm back. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. Cool. Who do you think yeah. is going to so, uh, run well I, at Kentucky? I uh, I was saying that uh, Kyle Busch ended up uh, getting uh, uh, beat by his brother, and it was great for me because uh, I have that perfect diecast. Yeah, I think Kyle Busch Kyle Busch is going to finally get a win here. Uh, they mentioned it on the NBC broadcast he's a two-time winner there at indianapolis but i think kyle bush finally goes 
and wins uh, a home track for Toyota. Uh, Kentucky is where they uh, make the Camrys and some of the other cars. So I think Kyle Busch finally goes and gets his win. Uh, it's going to be a day race, unlike what most of the races. Every race at Kentucky Sands 1, I believe, has been night So for the Cup mm-hmm. Series. So uh, being a day race, it'll change things up a little bit. Uh, Kyle Busch goes and gets a win and finally uh, gets one in there for his playoffs. Yeah, listen, Kyle's average finish at Kentucky, the six races, is 4.3. That's pretty incredible. So he's somebody to keep an eye on for sure. He hasn't had a great year this year. It's certainly weird to be this far into the season and not see Kyle Busch in a win column yet. But uh, he's he's got a 4.3 average finish. In, in six races at Kentucky. I'm sure he's won probably 12 Bush races there. Who knows? But uh, Xfinity races, excuse me. Um, but he's done very well there. Martin Truex Jr. certainly done well. As Spencer said, he's some, somebody to keep an eye on. I'm curious to see how Kurt Busch does, too. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating race. We sort of get back to the mile-and-a-half package and see if these teams have figured out a way. And someone I want to keep an eye on this weekend in the Cup Series before we move on to Xfinity is when we see Chevrolet come back. You know, early in the year, we kind of saw Chevrolet be really good. Chase Elliott was fast. Alex Bowman was a guy who was really, really fast early on. And Alex Bowman sort of gone away here uh, in the last couple of weeks. Can he find it again and really be strong? Tyler Reddick, an opportunity for him on a mile and a half tracks to where Chevrolet seems to be a little bit better this year to really go out and uh, gain some points and get himself into the playoff conversation. It can be fascinating to watch. Um, the Kentucky race this weekend on Sunday. NASCAR Xfinity Series race on Saturday. Shady Rays 200 from Kentucky. Uh, since I started with Spencer last time, I'll start with Philip this time. Uh, is this Chase Briscoe's race to lose? I guess I'll ask you since he's been winning everything lately. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Xfinity race, Philip? I mean, you could say that. I would. I would go and say that the the Junior Motorsports uh, team would be up there. They've been able to do some work on the one-and-a-half-mile racetracks. I'll go and pick Justin Allgaier here. He's been sweating wins here over the entire season. He's had bad luck. He's kind of due. Um, they, I would say that Allgaier, I would also look at um, Spencer's boy, um, Ross Jastain. Those are the two guys that haven't won yet that that should have a win, and I think uh, both of those guys have a really good shot on uh, Saturday to get one done. How about you, Spencer? Do you agree with that notion? You're a junior motorsports guy. Um, Noah Gregson's been very fast at times this year as well. Allgaier, uh, we know his. he's a very talented driver. Um your thoughts on the uh, on the Xfinity race from Kentucky? Yeah, um, I think you have to look at you know several guys. There's been a lot of fast guys um, this year. Uh, Gregson showed a lot of speed so far this year, but I'm gonna have to go with Ross Chastain. Um, and I'm not just picking him because I'm a fan of him. Uh, just because they've ran so well the last couple weeks, and they've been off in the beginning of the year a little bit going from missing the race at Daytona um, to really not running well. He was running the cup 
he was running the cup races, truck races. Really, it, that's hard to focus on one car when you're running all three. He's running Xfinity. Um, you know, he's not run, really running cup anymore, so he's able to really focus a lot, and they run a lot better. That team's really shown, and, you know, they won Atlanta, they won Talladega. Um, so now it's his turn to get one, and I think, uh, you know, almost won uh, Pocono, so I think um, uh, Kentucky is, is, is going to be um, his first win of this year, and um, I'll go ahead and lock him in the playoffs, even though he's third in the standings, but still, um, a win would be nice. And I misspoke before, and I apologize, and, and with this COVID-19 deal, you know, the schedule comes up on you, and you don't even ex- expect uh, what happens, but for the, for the record, and for everybody listening, I made a major mistake before. This race is not Saturday. There's two races for the Xfinity Series races for the Xfinity Series this weekend at Kentucky Speedway. Shady Race 200. That's on Thursday night at 8 p.m. It's going to be on FS1. And also, Kentucky, the ASCO 500. That's Friday night at 8 o'clock. So two races, something really, really cool to watch. I can't wait. Um, and knowing that, my Thursday and Friday are going to be much better now that I have something to watch uh, other than Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun to see these Xfinity Series cars there. And back-to-back days, Thursday and Friday, the Trip Series race is on Saturday from Kentucky Speedway uh, as well. So um, keep that in mind as everything goes on here. Doubleheader Thursday uh, and Friday for the um, NASCAR Xfinity Series. A 6 o'clock start for the Truck Series race on Saturday. The buckle up your truck, 225 at Kentucky Speedway, and we'll move to there. Uh, let me give you my Xfinity pick real quick. I'm going to go Gregson just, just to be different. Um, I just think he, he's going to be real fast this weekend. So we move to the truck series. Buckle up in your truck 225, Kentucky Speedway. Um, I guess I'll go Spencer this time since we're kind of trying to alternate who goes first. Truck series is going to be fun, a lot of fun to watch. No Kyle Busch in a 51. It's Chandler Smith. So that's certainly a positive. Um, and you know, when you look at the entry list, uh, no Ross Chastain either for the first time this year as well. Ryan Truex in the 40. They got Natalie Decker in the 44. Um, and Tom Jeske, of course, in the 45. That's the Nice Motorsports team. So, you know, a lot of, still a lot of great guys in that series. A lot of drivers who have really run good. But who's your pick to win and run up front here uh, at Kentucky Speedway for the truck series? Uh, I'm, you guys might be shocked, but I'm going to go Todd Gillen. Um, just because, you know, I think that team has shocked all three of us so far this year. Um, and every time you see him, he's always right there, uh, running third, fourth. Hell, he's even been on the, you know, the ass in the Kyle Busch battling for a lead. So I think that team is doing really well with Front Row Motorsports and DGR Crosley with support from them, um, with Ford. Uh, so I would I I, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him get a win in that truck to just really prove, you know I think he's more relaxed. It's not so much he's not under a lot of pressure. I don't think as he was with KBM. Um, so I would I'm gonna say um, Todd Gillen and the Front Row Motorsports Group. Wow, that'd be a hell of a win if he pulled that off. It would be a, a, a great thing to see for sure. Um, how about you, Philip? You know. We've seen a lot of different drivers, you know, win this year. Uh, it was Brandon Jones last time at, at Pocono that won. Crafton's kind of gotten off to a rough start this year. We've seen uh, C. Grenfinger win, win a couple of races this year. We haven't really seen Johnny Sauter show up this year. Um, but Austin wins – or excuse me, um, 
Uh, Austin Hill's been very, very good at times. He goes to points right now. So, who's your pick? There's, it's just the truck series is so interesting. Who's your pick to run up front and win on uh, Saturday night at Kentucky? I'm going to pick uh, Brett Moffitt. You know, he's the leader of the GMS uh, team. They invested full force into the truck series. They have a four-truck team. Tyler Ankrum's the defending winner of this race, and he won for DGR Crosley, so it fits with Spencer's pick. Uh, but Brett Moffitt, he he gets going here at this point of the, the year. It's what happened last year. He started winning in the summer and uh, won multiple races, built up the momentum to get him towards the uh, final race and get into the final four. I think Brett Moffitt, who's one of the best uh, drivers that probably should be in cup but hasn't been given an opportunity or wasn't given a great shot, uh, gets his first win of the year here in uh, in the GMS truck at Kentucky. But uh, there's plenty of guys that can go and make make something happen there. Yeah, um, you bring up Moffitt. I agree 100%. I think he's a great driver. And I would certainly consider him for my rides uh, in the future in the Cup Series. But, yeah, you know, it's just funny because a lot of the guys we've seen really do well in this series recently, Kyle Busch, of course, uh, Brandon Jones won at Pocono, Ross Chastain, he's, he's done a lot in the Truck Series uh, over the last year. And they're not in this race, so it sort of opens up a new field almost. Um, and really who's going to take the reins of this Truck Series? We haven't really seen anybody grab him by the horns yet and really say, this is my championship to lose. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna t- take this series and really um, take it by storm. We haven't seen somebody do that just yet. So can somebody do that? It's going to be fascinating to watch. Stuart Friesen's a guy that's going to be fun to watch, too. He's got an average finish of 5.3. But that 52 car, truck excuse me, has just been a wee bit off so far early in this season. They're getting help from KBM. Uh, but I am interested to see how Majeski does. Ty Majeski, they Nice and that team, for whatever reason, have just been a, a step off. So can he get a solid run and get some points underneath him and put himself in the, champion, in the playoff hunt again? That'll be fun and fascinating to watch. Um, I want to thank you guys again for a great show. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles. Again, if, if you like what you heard, please subscribe. We're on Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcasts now. Uh, if you listen to TuneIn Radio, if you don't have – Apple, you, you, prefer, you prefer TuneIn Radio, we're there too, as well as Radio.com, we're there as well. So whatever you listen to, wherever you get your, your radio or your podcasts from, we're there. We're also, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, we're there for you guys as well. Uh, we'll see you next time, next week we'll talk about Kentucky, and we'll preview the All-Star Race from Bristol Motor Speedway. going to be a lot of fun. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.